Let's read the Word of God then, and we're going to read our first reading from the book of Psalms, reading Psalm 95. Let us hear God's Word. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care." Today, if only you would hear His voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared on my oath and in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Amen. It's a bit bizarre, isn't it? That's the Word of God. Before we read the second passage, a word of introduction. You see, this morning I'm going to preach a sermon on a sermon on a sermon on a Bible story. You got that? A sermon on a sermon on a sermon on a Bible story. It'll make sense, don't worry. Let me take you a little bit back in history. Uh, Just a few years, three and a half thousand to be precise, or roughly precise. There were some people, Israelites, who were in Egypt as slaves and they were set free. They're sometimes called the Hebrews, interestingly. And then God brought them through the Red Sea. And as they came out of the Red Sea, they knew forever after that God had done something in their past that changed everything. He'd rescued them and set them free, and they were never to forget it. But it wasn't just something in their past. It was also to be something in their future, because not only had they been brought out of Egypt, they'd been given a future promise that as they traveled on, they would come to the promised land, a past and a future hope. But there was a bit in the middle. And that's the hard bit. That's the wilderness. That's where it's tough and it's dry and it's a slog. And sometimes in those wilderness years, if you know the Exodus story, they wished they'd never left Egypt and they grumbled. And sometimes they thought they'd never get to the future promise, and they grumbled and complained and rebelled, and they stopped trusting, and they built golden calves, and they did a hundred one other things until in a place called Meribah, they finally gave up on God. And God said, they will not get into the promised land. And of that generation, only two did, Joshua and Caleb, all the rest would die in the wilderness, including Moses. And it was their children that got into the promised land. Now, remember that story and skip forward about 500 years. A king called David writes a psalm, and the psalm is a sermon. 
The psalm is the one we just read. Started off with praising this great God who has done so much for us. The shepherd, the creator, the one who is wonderful. And then start words of warning as David preaches a sermon in the psalm going back to the Exodus story and says this, be careful, folks. God has done all this for you and he's amazing. Carry on in his praise Unless you end up being like that generation in the wilderness. So today, right now, says David, reading this psalm, if you hear God's voice, don't be like them. Don't turn back. Don't forget the promises. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart and keep going that you might enter the promised land, as it were, or what he calls God's rest. Preaching on Exodus, as if it was for his day. Now skip forward another thousand years. We come to roughly 60 AD, and we come to the guy, or girl, who was writing the letter to the Hebrews, interestingly called Hebrews again. And the Christian preacher has got these tired and fed-up Christians. They know that in the past, God has saved them in Jesus. They know in the future, there is a hope of eternal life and a world renewed. But in the middle, in the slog, in the wilderness, in the hard times, it's hard to get going, to keep going. And so the preacher preaching in the book of Hebrews picks up Psalm 98 based on the Bible story from the book of Exodus and says, today, if you are hearing God's voice, don't do what they did in the wilderness, but keep your eyes on Him, encouraging them to keep going with God, to keep going. So here's what I'm going to do in a few minutes' time. I'm going to, once we've read the passage preach a sermon based on the sermon that the book of Hebrews preached, based on the sermon that Psalm 95 preached, based on the book of Exodus. Because all three preachers, me, the writer to the Hebrews, and the psalmist, are convinced of this, that God's Word is for us today, telling us today to renew our trust in Him, that we might enter into the rest that God has for us. We have a past hope of salvation in Jesus given to us. We have a future promise, but in this middle bit, we struggle. So, we are going to hear the Word of God as we read it from the book of Hebrews. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Just as it's been said, quoting Psalm 95, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter 
because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declare on my oath, they shall never enter my rest. And yet His works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere He has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all His works. And again in the passage above He says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go on because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This He did when a long time later He spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the Word of God is active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Amen, and thanks be to God. Amen. How do we keep going when it gets tough? Well, in the Old Testament, how they kept going was continually with two things that God told them to remember. One was what God had done in the past. And they kept telling the story of how they had been saved, how they had been set free, how they had been delivered, how they had been brought out of Egypt as slaves and made to be a people. God had done that for them. And the Jewish people continually were told to retell that story. The Passover itself recounts the story of how God had set them free and made them a people. And at the same time, they were also to have always before them a future hope. For that 40 years in the wilderness, that hope had been the promised land. But when they got into the promised land, they were continually given a future hope. It was given by prophet after prophet after prophet that one day God wouldn't just give them a land of milk and honey. One day God would heal the earth. One day, God would make the nations all believe in Him. One day, God would send a Messiah who would change everything. So they went forward, knowing that God had saved them in the past and knowing that God had promised them 
for the future. How do we keep going today? Through the COVID years, through the suffering and the struggle that we all have, through the sense of failure that we very often have as believers, inadequacies, times that God seems very distant, how do we keep going? It's the same question that the author of the book of Hebrews was addressing with his tired people. Remember we said that lovely image in 1212 where it says, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees and make level paths for your feet. Of course, when you read behind that, it doesn't take much thinking to think that they had feeble arms and weak knees and tripping over stuff and feeling like that. And we've said a few times that we can relate to that, can't we? You have a feeling like that? And then there's another verse in Hebrews where it says, do not give up the habit of meeting together, but encourage one another more and more. What's behind that? That some of them at least had stopped meeting together. I can't be bothered going to church. I can't be bothered with the meetings. It doesn't give me anything. I'm getting nothing out of it. And they got discouraged. And in fact, when they met together, perhaps they were discouraging each other more and more because somebody was saying something and, you know, it's all useless and da, da, da. How do we keep going? Well, the New Testament has the same answer as the Old Testament. It's amazing how these two things always come together. What's the answer? Remember. Remember who you are. Remember that God sent His Son and He died for you. Remember you were baptized into that hope that your sins were forgiven, that your destiny was secure. Remember what He did for you. Remember His great love for you. Keep celebrating, not with a Passover meal, but with the bread and the wine and the Word of God, remembering that amazing grace that set you free. But also know that hope for the future, that promise of eternal life, that promise that someday this world will be renewed again in the image of Jesus Christ, that one day He will rule over the nations. Let that encourage you. And this passage started with those commands, brothers and sisters, see that you have a known, no, don't have unbelieving hearts, but encourage one another daily. That's what we're supposed to do in churches, by the way. Encourage one another with that hope for the past, that hope for the future. Sometimes we don't get that right. In fact, in Scotland, it's particularly hard because we don't like talking, do we, about faith. We talk about church and structures and all those things, but we don't talk about the living God in our lives. Encourage each other, nurture each other, because we do not want anyone to fall away. But you know, there is a bit of a problem when I talk about future hope. Because it can seem like a long way off. As if I'm saying, yeah, it's just going to be tough just now. Just get used to it. Get over it. There's no rest for the wicked or the righteous. Or, or that awful thing that people say to you. You know when you do something that's, that's worthy and they say you'll get your reward in heaven? And I always think when someone says that, I think that's great, but you know what? Well, first of all, my reward in heaven is because of Jesus, not because of what I'm doing. But the second problem with it is this. It's like you're saying, you've got no chance of getting any gratitude before that. The world's stacked against you. You'll get your reward in heaven, but up until then, you're just going to be miserable. Put up with it. And that can't be right either. 
Chapter 3 of what we read might have seemed a little bit like that. Keep going, keep slogging away, keep persevering, and you'll get there in the end into the promised land, the rest of God, the the heaven. But chapter 4, it seems to say more than that. These verses, talking about the Old Testament, said, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day. And what does that mean? Well, if you think back to the Exodus story, as they looked forward to that promised land, eventually they got there, or at least Joshua did. The rest of them died. But the point is this, that this psalm, even back then, is saying, now, today. So, it's asking something that's not just about a future hope like they had for the promised land. It's talking about something that you can enter into now, today, if you hear God's voice. You can respond to this right away. Now, to understand this, this quite complicated chapter picked up another theme. And that theme we find in chapter 4, verse 4, where it, it says that it talks, sorry, it talks about, the, there, I haven't got it on the screen, it says, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And it's interesting that the writer says somewhere. Can you tell me where God said he rested from all his works? Where was it? Genesis. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> you don't actually need to know the books of the Bible in order. It's not a Bible knowledge quiz like the BB do. Just know this. This story of God's rest. It's an interesting story, though. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Think about that. Was he tired? Was his back sore? It it can't be that, can it? It must be something else. Here's two facts that we know from it. First of all, God had made the whole world in five days, and then on the sixth day, He made human beings in His image. He blessed them, and He gave them work to do. But then before they started any of that work, on the very next day, God rested. Now, there are two reasons that you rest. One is that you are just exhausted. You can't go any further on, and it can't be that because God can't be exhausted. And the other is this. You rest because you finished. You know when you've climbed a mountain, and that mountain might just be a small hill, but you've slogged all the way up, You've wondered whether you could keep going. You thought about turning back, and you finally get to the end, to the top, and you stop. And you haven't stopped because you're exhausted. You could have done that on various points on the way up. You've stopped because you've reached the summit, and there you look, and you say, this is good. Well, apart from when the mist's down, you can't see anything, but this is good. You take in the view. You take in the look, and you enjoy And I think in Genesis, that is what God is doing. He is saying, I've finished. I'm looking at all that I made. And I'm particularly looking at human beings. I've made them creative. I've made them to work like me. I've made them in my image. I've made them to order and to bring life to this world around them. But here's the first thing that the Father God is going to teach the children made in His image to do as He does. 
and it is to rest. Not out of exhaustion, but out of the ability to say, this is good. God made this. God did this. And I am going to enjoy it. When God brought the children of Israel, the Hebrews, out of Egypt, before He took them to the promised land, He took them to Mount Sinai, and He gave them ten commandments. Commandments that would tell them what to do and what not to do. But it's interesting, in among those commandments, He gave the fourth commandment. What was the fourth commandment? This is a Bible quiz. It was this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male and female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. Now, here's the thing. That has become, for many folk, it became the Pharisees made another list of things to do and not do and rules to learn and all the rest of it. And you know, we've, we've done that in the church ever since, but that wasn't really what it was about. It was about this. There shall be a time and a place on this road where you will stop, and you will make it a holy time, a holy day, and you will rest, and you will say, look what God has done. It is good. Look what He has done for me. Look what He has promised for me right now in this place, in this point on the journey on the road, I have not entered into the fullness of His rest, but at this point in the journey on the road, in the wilderness, in the dry place, I will stop and I will say, the Lord is good. The Lord has saved me. The Lord has promised to me. The Lord is with me. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down by the still waters. And I sometimes think God has to grab us and actually say, lie down, stop, stop, be still, and know that I'm God. You know, one of the things that it teaches us right back in these Ten Commandments is simply this, overworking is bad. It's bad news. It brutalizes, it dehumanizes, it makes us part of a machine that always has to deliver, always has to be doing things, always has to be achieving things, always has to be reaching certain levels. And our society is very guilty of that, isn't it? Our society says, you are what you do. What's the first question people ask you when they meet you? What do you do? As if that was what gave you value. What do you do? What do you achieve? How much do you earn? What do you contribute? As if all of that is what gives you value. And here comes God and says, no, rest in me. I have created all things. Enjoy. Rest and in this place, no. You know, I could say this of other churches, but I think it's certainly true here that we tend towards being, as a church, activists. If I say to you, I want you to come tonight and I just want you to sit and relax and praise the Lord and feed on His Word and enjoy Him. I'll not get many folk. 
If I say to you, I need some workers to come and and run something and do something and generate money and serve good causes, I'll get lots of folk. Is that fair? I think it generally is. Why is that? Because actually, we're activists. We think it's all about doing, achieving, doing for God. And sometimes it's the opposite. You know, when we took those vows of church membership, one of the vows was, of course, to give a fitting proportion of our time, our talents, and our money for the work, the work of the church. And so we do that. You use your gifts, your baking, or your cooking, or your mission skills, whatever else you use, administration, money, whatever it is, we use our, our skills to build up the church. Lots of folk do that, lots of volunteers. And we use our skills, and we use our time, and we, you know, we're busy, we come to church, and we take on more meetings, and rotas, and all sorts of other things. Or, 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 or we give our money, which is the stuff we work for, so we achieve that. We work hard in our, our workplaces and we earn money and we give it to the work of the church. And by the way, the treasurer says, give me more. So how could we plug there? For the work of the church. But you know what the other commandment is that we took about was? It said, be faithful in prayer and in Bible study and in gathering with your fellow believers on the, work, on the Lord's day. Why? Was that just to give you more tasks? No, it wasn't. It was to say, you need to rest in the Lord. You need to be reminded of what He's done for you as you read His Word. You need to spend time just sitting with Him. You need to gather with other people that you might rest in His praises because that's what's going to keep you going through the slog to the promises that He has made for you. I I, I was reading Pete Gregg um, a while back, and and he's a great prayer warrior, and he teaches us to pray. And he said one time he was uh, walking down the road praying and looking for a sign from God. He had some big decisions to make in his life. And he was, what Lord is your guidance? And he felt the Lord saying to him, I don't often hear voices, but he did on that day. Would you look at that tree? And so Pete stopped and looked at the tree that was beside him. And he was sort of looking at it thinking, is God going to give me a sign? Is God going to give me a message? Is God going to tell me what to do as I look at the tree? So he looked at the tree really hard, trying to discern what God was saying. And eventually he said, Lord, what, why is it you want me to look at the tree? And then he felt the Lord saying, it's a nice tree. I just wanted you to enjoy it. Stop and look at the presence of God and see him. You see, if you think back to the children of Israel, they had been slaves. And the problem with being slaves, whether you're a wage slave or, 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 or you're in that, that, that loop of work, achievement, doing, earning, giving, charity, whatever else it is, is that it devalues you. What happens is that they are released from slavery, and the first thing God does is He brings them to Mount Sinai, having fed them, having provided for them, and says, you need to know about the Sabbath rest. You need to know that it's not about you, but it's about me. And the Pharisees and others to this day, and that includes the church sometimes, destroying that by making it another list of things to do. But they were to rest 
and trust in God. Today, if you hear this message, then enter into the rest. Because that is how you drift off. The Hebrews were in danger of stopping and giving up. And he said to them, today if you hear God's voice. And there is a real danger for us that it all becomes about work. Moses, you know why the reason Moses didn't get into the promised land? Because he was told to hold his staff up and bring some water out of a rock, and he did it. And then he said, look what I've done. And the Lord said, you didn't do that, I did it. It's not about your work, it's about my work. That's why this passage ends by saying the Word of God is sharper and active, because that Word of God, as we rest on it, as we feed on it, is what enables us to rest in the promises of what God has done for us, that you are a Christian and it's been done at the cross for you, and you have been given an eternal promise. But right now, in this place, in the middle of the wilderness and the dryness and the problems and the suffering and the persecution and all the things that you feel that you are feeling, the Lord is saying, will you rest in me? Will you trust in me? Will you depend on me? Will you remember it's about me and not about you and your work? May that be God's work and message to us at this time.